0: We are in 1 Kings chapter 19 tonight. 1 Kings chapter 19. And let's go ahead and just read verses 1 and 2. And, uh, and then we'll, we'll finish up the rest of those verses uh, as we go along through the lesson tonight. But uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. And let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. It says And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain the prophets with a sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the evening. We pray for your guidance and direction upon uh, the lesson. Give uh, me the words that need to be said. And use this for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, just a little background into what's happening here. And, and uh, you may be familiar with the story of Elijah and the 400 prophets of Baal. Uh, but basically, uh, what had, had been going on uh, just previously to this is that Israel had just come through a, uh, a drought, a very uh, terrible famine had come upon the land. Now, it wasn't a by chance thing that this famine came about. As a matter of fact, it was, um, uh, it was something that Elijah had prayed for. And the children of Israel had turned away from God. Uh, they had turned away from his word and had turned to idolatry. And, uh, and so if you remember back in the book of Deuteronomy, I believe it is, uh, that he talks about the fact that if they go into the land and they're obedient to him and turn and, and don't turn to idols, things like that. Uh, That he would send the former rain and the latter rains in their times and in their seasons. And basically their, their crops would always yield fruit and they would never have to worry about food. And there was many other promises that came along with that. Uh, But Israel did turn to idolatry, and they did turn away from God. And so Elijah, praying in accordance with God's word, uh, he prayed, and the heavens were shut up for a space, uh, as the book of, I think as James tells us, for the space of about three and a half years. uh, There was not a drop of rain that fell upon uh, the land of Israel during that time. And so it was a very terrible famine. There was uh, just not any food at all, which, uh, which sparks up some other great stories and, uh, of Elijah and, and God's provision and work through him. Uh, but eventually what happens is he goes to the king, as we find here in chapter 19 and verse 1. Uh, he goes to King Ahab and, uh, and has a discussion with him and basically tells Israel that it's time to get on one side of the fence or the other. Um, he kind of draws a line in the sand and says, are you going to serve the Lord or are you going to serve these other gods? What are you going to do? And, uh, and so, of course, uh, eventually what happens is there's a, a, a huge, um, I guess you'd call it a competition between uh, Elijah, the prophet of the Lord, and uh, these 400 prophets of Baal uh, who had come out. And, uh, and basically the, the competition was to see who could bring fire from heaven down first. Alright, and, and you have to remember that Baal, this god that, that these these guys were worshiping, was he was a god of storms, the god of thunder and lightning and rain and things like that. And so it was whoever could call fire down from heaven first. And so we, if you know the story, you know that Elijah uh, kind of orchestrated all this, and uh, he had them bring the altar you know bring altars in, bring sacrifices in, uh, wet the sacrifices, things like that, and, and uh, basically, they, they stood out there all day long, cutting themselves, screaming. Running around chanting and uh, stuff like that, and, and nothing ever happened and He began taunting them, well, maybe your god 's on, uh, on a in a far country, or maybe he 's taking a nap, or you know what 's going on and so uh, the more he, he pushed them, of course, the, the crazier they got and so finally he said that 's enough. Uh, he ordered for more water to be brung in, poured all over the altar, a trench to be dug around, water filled up that trench. And then, of course, he just praised the guy from heaven. And God sent down the fire and uh, and lapped up not only the sacrifice, but all the water uh, that had been poured out as well. And uh, so, of course, God established himself as the only true and living God. Well, as a result of this, uh, when they were proven to have been false prophets, Elijah had them uh, executed for uh, their blasphemy against God. And so it was right after this that Ahab goes to his wife Jezebel and tells her of everything that's happened. Well, uh, Elijah just had this huge victory there in Israel. But this one woman, Jezebel, this queen, tells him that, uh, that basically she brings a curse upon herself that if she doesn't do to him what he's done to these prophets, that uh, that basically she, you know, that she would be cursed. And so, in other words, what she was doing is solemnly swearing that she was going to have him killed. He was going to be executed uh, for what he had done to these prophets. Now, that stirred something up in Elijah. Stirred up some fear in Elijah. And what we're really going to be seeing uh, throughout the rest of this text is his response to. Jezebel. Now um, you know if God is in control, and if God's just just signified who He is. Uh, by this fire that's been called down from heaven, by this huge victory that's taken place there, uh, then in one sense we might say that Elijah um, may have not had, he may have lost a little faith or whatever it is, he just had a bad day uh, because what he does is he allows fear to overcome him. And instead of standing boldly up to this Jezebel, what he does is uh, he turns in and runs. And, uh, and this is, we're going to follow that story uh, as we, excuse me, go down through our text. Now, The reason why we're here is because um, I I was struggling this past week with some uh, some fear as well and and, uh, some thoughts of fear and uh, some worries. And and, uh, you know, I started I went to God and I just didn't understand. I I needed to know what was going on. I was uh, just, uh, you know, uh, Satan just has a way of of, he can really fill uh, your heart with fear sometimes if you give him the opportunity to. And uh so it was just it was just an overwhelming time. And, uh, and so I went to God and I started uh, asking God, God, I need you to give me some kind of sign. You know, <laughs> I need you to do something. Show me, you know, that, uh, it, you know, whatever. And so I, I'm praying and, and I'm asking God to uh, to do just something. I don't know uh, wiggle the window or, or do, do something so that I know that, uh, that, you know, that I'm in the right way or whatever it is. And so I, I'm praying and everything and all of a sudden. Uh, like I said, my mind's going 90 to nothing. And all of a sudden, uh, there was just a calm over my mind. Those thoughts just kind of fled away for a little bit. And what he did is he brought my mind to this particular text that we're going to read right here. And I, I won't, we're going to read down through what, what Elijah's going through, but it's at the end of this text that I want you to see um, how God answered that prayer that I, that I was uh, asking. So I want us to look at verses 3 and 4 as we go along down through here. Uh, we find in verses 3 and 4 that he leaves from, uh, he's up around Mount Carmel, which is in the northern Israel area. Beersheba is the southernmost border of Israel. That's like saying that he went down to, uh, I don't know, what's really close to to Mexico. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no. Well, yeah, yeah, he went down to, I don't know, El Paso or something like that. Whatever's right there, Corpus Christi, something that's, I think I said crispy, but Corpus Christi, yeah. He went all the way down to Corpus Christi, and uh, and he goes as far as he possibly can south, and that's where he winds up. So not Corpus Christi, Corpus Christi, Okay. <laughs> Now, uh, you might get crispy if you stay there a little too long, but look at verses 3 and 4. He says, and when he saw that, he arose and went for his life. Notice that. He, he's not just running. He's not going on a jog. He is running for his life. He is scared. It says, and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Again, the southernmost town or city that you can come to is the southernmost border of Israel. And runs all the way as far as he can uh, in Israel says he ran a day's journey to the wilderness and sat down under a juniper tree. It says in verse 4, he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper, a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. Now, I, I've read that verse a bunch of times, and you ever, you ever notice how you just read it one more time and something else opens up to you? And something just opened up to me when I I turned to this text uh, the other night. And when I turned there and read that, it made sense to me in a way that it's never made sense before. I think what's happened here in verse 4 is Elijah's upset with himself. Because he knows that he has been standing for God. He knows that he's been doing right. He knows he's been walking in God's ways and all of a sudden this fear overcomes him and what does he do? He jumps up and runs and when he winds up in Beersheba as far south as he can go away from Jezebel as far as Israel is concerned that's when he stops and he realizes what he has done. In essence, he's turned away from God. In essence, he's put his faith in, in man or himself or uh, and, and he's lost his faith in the Lord and, and, and what he's saying is He's saying, I'm no better than my fathers. He's talking about, of course, his ancestors in Israel who, uh, who also uh, during times of fear and during times of crisis uh, would turn away from God and would look somewhere else for provision or safety or whatever it may be. He says, I am no better than my fathers there in verse 4. I mean, he is, I think he is just in despair. He's upset with himself. He's embarrassed. He's ashamed of God for what he's done. He says, God, it would be better if you just took my life. I can't live with the shame. But even as he ran, even while these thoughts were on his heart, I want you to see what happens in verses 5 through 7. It says, And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him. By the way, what's an angel? A messenger of God. He's running away from God. He's running in fear away from this situation. And God doesn't reach down with wrath. What he reaches down to with him to is, is mercy. He, he reaches down to him with a messenger and a message. He wasn't really running from God, he was running from Jezebel. He was running from Jezebel, right. Well, that's true. He, he was running from Jezebel. But, but running away from God in the sense that he was supposed to be standing up to Jezebel, but, you know, you know, but he, he winds up turning and run the other direction. That's where I was going. But you're right. I mean, he was afraid of Jezebel. That's where he's, that is uh, the source of what he's running from. You're, you're right. Absolutely right. And so it says, as he lay there under the juniper tree, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. No, you're not through running, Elijah. You've got a little bit further to go. It says, And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid himself down again. A cruise of water. Basically, he's got a loaf of bread and a bottle of water that's there to help nourish him for the journey. Verse 7 says, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. What he does is he gives him rest. And he nourishes his body. And even then, keep in mind how far he's run. He gives him another day. He gives him a little bit longer to have another meal and just rest a little bit longer. He says, you you still got a long journey ahead of you. And so he nourishes him and he prepares him. And then, of course, he brings him to himself there in verse 8. It says, he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat or that food 40 days and 40 nights unto Horeb, the Mount of God. That's an interesting place for him to have shown up. We're going to see something here in just a little bit. We're going to see specifically where he goes. But I want you to mark the fact that he has gone uh, to this mountain called Horeb, all right? And so interestingly, uh, in his trouble, uh, he, he, run, he in a sense, I said a while ago that he's running away from God. But uh, in this passage, where is he actually running? He's running to God in here, right? So he goes, he goes down to Mount Horeb, and there, of course, he's going to meet with the Lord. How many of us, though, have been where he was that day? Where was to where he was at? How many? 200 miles away. It was a 40 days journey. So he, he, she says about 40 miles away. But I'm going to tell you exactly where he went. This Mount Horeb, we know it at, by another word in the Old Testament. It's Mount Sinai. Right. It's the exact mountain that Moses had gone to uh, when he brought the children of Israel out of Canaan. If he ran south, was, he, was that like going back north then? No, okay. So he he goes as far south as he can to Beersheba. And then uh, depending on where Mount Sinai is, and I think it's over Midian, then he ran southeast for another 200-something miles uh, down to where this Mount Horvath is. So now he's, he's gone even further, another 200-something miles even further southeast uh, to where this Mount Sinai is. All right, so uh, so he runs all the way down there, and Mount Horeb is just it's just another name for Mount Sinai, kind of like we have Cimarron out here, but we also call it what? Four thirty six got two names and we're talking about the same place. Well, that's what's going on with Mount Sinai. It's the same same mountain, two different names. Cimarron, yeah, there you go. That's about right. But how many of us have been where Elijah is? You know, we, we've worked for God, we've labored for God, we've sacrificed for God, we've poured ourselves out and, uh, and to a place where, uh, you know, we, we feel like we're really in God's will. And then all of a sudden, it, it's like it just hits us out of nowhere. We're overcome with fear. We're overcome with anger. We're overcome with something that would take us away from God's will in our lives. And of course, when we when we run and uh, we get going, and sometimes we don't realize what's going on. Where uh, our feet are carrying us, but our mind's not really uh, where it should be. And finally, when we stop for a second, we realize how far away we've gotten from where God wants us to be. You know, and uh, and we realize you know maybe maybe the shame of that uh, overwhelms us and. Uh, but I want you to just think about what God does. That he, he doesn't reach out. He doesn't lash out in anger, but he reaches down, as he did with Elijah, reaches down with mercy and sometimes just gives us uh, a little message and a little nourishment and a little rest that will keep us going uh, the rest of the way. All right, now look in verses 9 and 10. It says, And he came thither into a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, that was another thing. And and I've studied these verses before. And uh, we've gone through these verses before as well. But something that I I caught the last time that I studied through this, he says, what are you doing? Now, I might ask you that. I mean, if, if you show up and I say, well, what are you doing here? You know, and that may not be anything significant. I'm just asking the question, what are you doing here? But I think that if we underline in our minds the word here, and think about specifically where he had run, well, the Lord asked him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He ran all the way to Mount Sinai, all the way to the very mountain that God had made His covenant with Israel. The very mountain, and what we're going to find, the very cave that Moses in distress had also gone to and said, Lord, I need to know that you're with me. I need some kind of sign that you're still behind us in this. I need to see you. And if you remember, the Lord brought him up to that cave and he shielded him so that he couldn't see his face when he passed by. And then he led his hand by and and, uh, he saw the the hinder glory of God uh, as he passed through. That is the very same cave that Elijah's run to here. God says, what are you doing here what's the significance behind your you coming here to speak with me he says in verse 10 i've been very jealous for the lord god of hosts for the children of israel have forsaken thy covenant thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword and i even i uh, only am left and they seek my life to take it away now, I want you to look at what uh, Elijah's reasoning is here. And, and it looks like he's, blame, he's, he's having a pity party. And I think that's how I've heard it preached a bunch of times. And he is having a, a pity party. Uh, but, he, you know, he's upset because the children of Israel have turned away from God. He says, I'm jealous uh, over you, Lord, because they're not worshiping you. They've torn down your altars in order to build idols. And they've completely forsaken you. And I'm the only one that's left. And, uh, and, you know, I think we can read this and we can pull out a, I'm the only one that's left. But you also have to keep in mind where his heart is, where his mind is, uh, and where it was before. Uh, you know, when he stopped in Beersheba, he was upset with himself because he felt like he had failed God. He had failed God. Now he gets all the way down there and he's upset. He is upset with the children of Israel, but he feels like He's failed. I've done all these things. I've been so faithful all these years of ministry. And there's there's not even one who will stand beside me. Not even one who cares about you, Lord. He feels like he's failed in his, uh, his job as a prophet. This was not the groaning of a whiny prophet, but the cry of a man whose heart was broken for God. And so what we see is Elijah... Searching for answers. He wants to know what's going on, God. What's happening? What, what's happening with me and you? Where, where do I stand in all this? I know that I've just fled from Jezebel. I know I've made probably a mockery of the ministry. And, and, you know, what's going on here? And so he goes to God. He's wanting some answers. Look at verse 11. It says, and he says, Go forth and stand upon the mount before God. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind. Rent the mountains and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Now he wants to hear from God. So what God does is God sends a tornado. And that tornado comes behind it. I mean, it's knocking rocks off the mountain. And I mean, this is a scary deal. All right? So I'm sure he tucks himself back in the cave a little bit until this thing passes. It says uh, he, he sent a great strong wind. It rent the mountains, breaking pieces of the rocks before the Lord. But then I want you to notice what it says. But the Lord was not in the wind. Amen. Right. It says, and after the wind an earthquake. Suddenly the earth begins to shake and what's left of those rocks that are clinging on, I'm sure some of them begin sliding down. And and, uh, I mean, uh, a huge earthquake comes by, uh, you know, passes through. And and, uh, and it says at the end of verse 11, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. It says, and after the earthquake, a fire, which is not the first time that a fire has come down on Mount Sinai, is it? But it says a fire comes down and scorches, of course, the mountain, but the Lord was not in the fire. And then look at this. It says, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And it was in that still, small voice that God spoke to Elijah. Elijah. Now in verse 13 it says, And it was so that when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle. He went out, stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Same question as before. What are you doing here, Elijah? He gives him the same answer, verse 14. He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They have thrown down thy altar, slain thy prophets with the sword, and I, even I, only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And look at what the Lord says in verse 15. The Lord said unto him, Go return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou comest to anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be anointed to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of uh, Abel Meholah shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay; him that escapeth the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which has not kissed him. Now Elijah's upset. He's upset because Israel's turned away from God. He's upset because he kind of feels like he's failed in his job as a prophet, which is to bring people back to the Lord. And I guarantee you, Jeremiah and Isaiah and many of these other prophets probably were in the same place that Elijah had been. They just, you know, uh, they preach and preach and preach and and Israel still is turned to idolatry. And here Elijah is, he's upset. He wants to know, God, what's going on. He says, they've forsaken your covenant. So he comes back to the very place where God had first established this covenant with Israel. And, And the Lord says, here's what I want you to do, Elijah. I want you to turn back and go where I send you. And go, and he says, You're not only going to anoint these, and not only, by the way, by him anointing Haziel to be king of Syria and Jehu uh, to, to be king over Israel, literally what's happening is God's going to bring to judgment those who have been turning away from him. He's going to bring the judgment through them, and whoever they don't take care of, then Elisha's going to come through and, uh, and finish up the job, right? And so uh, he says, He says, I'm going to take care of those who have turned away from me. I'm going to take care of those who have turned their backs on me. He says, but you go and uh, and you do this. But the, the place where I want us to look at is what he says in uh, verses 11 and 12. What's going on here is Elijah again. He's looking for some great demonstration of God. Some great demonstration of power. Uh, to prove, for God to prove to him that he's doing the right thing or that he's going the right way or that he and God are still okay with one another. And in uh, Elijah's life and his ministry has been filled with these huge, marvelous signs of power. Uh, and what God does is he does send uh, three great demonstrations of his power through these, uh, these natural occurrences. He has the tornado that blows through. He has an earthquake that comes through, and he has a a great fire that comes through. But each time it says, but the Lord was not in any of those. And when it gets to the end end of all these, it says, but then there was a still, small voice. A whisper. And it was in that whisper that God spoke to Elijah. Now, I think that says a lot. I think what that tells us, first of all, is that we, as God's people, are not to be jumping around from experience to experience to experience. And sometimes God is going to work in magnificent ways. And sometimes he's going to work in earthquakes and he's going to work in tornadoes and he's going to work in fire. Sometimes there, there will be great demonstrations of his power. But that's not what we're going around and doing his work for is to see the, the next big show that he's going to bring in. And, and that's not what we base our, uh, our, our lives or our walk with the Lord on is, is the, the great, wonderful things that he's doing all the time. But he shows him here that he's not to be bouncing around or jumping from experience to experience, but that this is a daily walk with a person. That it's not this great demonstration of power. It's not the big signs that everybody is looking for all the time. Uh, That's that's how God works. But he just speaks to us sometimes in what sounds just like a gentle whisper in our hearts. And that's where I was the other night. God, I, I need to see something big. I need to see something powerful. I need to see you show off a little bit, you know, so that I understand and uh and what he did instead, and this is kind of how I thought of it later. If you remember on the Sea of Galilee, when that big storm came through and they were all saying, Master, don't you care that we're going to die? And, uh, and Jesus stands up and this the sea is tossing back and forth. And uh, he says, peace, be still. And there was an immediate calm on the sea. And that's kind of what he did. It's like he just spoke to my heart and there was a there's an instant calm in my heart. And when that calm was there, I was able to rest for a little bit, and he started started showing me connections where he had whispered here, and he had whispered here, and he had whispered here and here. And he brought me right back to these verses. This is where my mind went, right back to these verses. And he reminded me that it's not always in great demonstrations of power and signs and wonders that God speaks, but to his children often It's just in the silent whisper that he gives from his spirit to ours. And i tell you what, that little whisper from God, that little, that little still small voice that passed from his spirit to mine, that charged me up more than I think anything else that he could have done would have. And listen, if we'll listen to him, if we'll listen to him, that's how he's going to speak in our lives as well. And God's going to do some great marvelous things. God's got power, and sometimes he'll show off that power so that people have no question that what he's done is from him. All right? He's at, he, he is not against showing power, but what he is against is us trusting in the demonstrations of his power and not trusting in him. What he is against is us turning to and, and always looking for the next thrill instead of just having a daily relation walk with him where he's able to speak to our heart at any moment, and then we obediently respond. And I think that's where Elijah was. Uh, so much of his, his uh, ministry to this point had always been going from one big thing to the next. And he's saying, I just want you to walk with me, Elijah. Just go. I'm going to whisper to your heart, you walk with me, and I'll make sure you're always going the right direction. And that was just kind of the message that God uh, brought to me the other night. And, and I hope, I don't know how he may have used this tonight, um, but I'll tell you this, in your life individually, in your life as a church, in your life as a, as a family, we have several family units here, there are times when God's going to make great demonstrations of power. He's going to show off a little bit and he'll show you, he'll do some things that only he can get the credit for. But on your day-to-day walk with him, it's not normally going to be those great acts of power. It's going to be the little whispers that he gives to your heart. And that's what we've got to focus on. Thank him when he does the big things. But be focused on him enough that you're able to hear the little things. And think about the, just the little whispers that he gives to you and shows you what his will is. All right? Um, that's all that I have for tonight. And uh, are there any questions or comments that we have this evening? And by the way, when I, when I talk about whispers and still small voices and things like that, I'm not talking about audible voices. I hope you understand where I'm coming from on this. I, I don't want you to go home and get frustrated because nobody's whispering in your head. And, and let me tell you something. If you start hearing voices whisper in your head, you need to come see me for another reason, all right? Okay? But what I am saying is God has a way of gently, as if it's a whisper, letting you know what he wants. Speaking from his spirit to yours. And often he'll do it with scripture. He'll recall scripture. He'll recall truth from his word. And he'll bring it to your mind. And uh, that's what I'm talking about when I when I talk about those whispers and stuff. So be careful about hearing voices and and things like that. And I, I mean, God could choose to work however he wants to. I'm just telling you, you know, that's that's not what I'm talking about when I say that. So anyway. Uh, That's all that I I, I think I've boxed myself in. I'm just going to go ahead and let y'all have any discussion you may have tonight. Anybody with anything? Preacher, I think about when you talk about Elijah, he actually was running more or less from Jezebel, because he was scared. Yeah. He was also running from God, wasn't trusting God. Right. Reminds me a lot from Jonah. Yeah. When he Mm -hmm. he was trying to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And he didn't want to go to Nineveh. Yeah. He didn't like them people. Right. Mm-hmm. They were bad people. Mm. Mm-hmm. He was just as likely to walk out alive as he was to to be filleted alive. You know. <laughs> so. They. They were just human. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Mm. Hmm. Sure can. All right. Any others? All right. Well, thank you for your time and your attention. I hope hope the studies brought something to your heart, like like it did to mine. And um, anyway, uh, just just be focusing on the Lord this week, and and uh, focus on on your daily walk and your daily relationship with Him, because that's where He's going to interact with you. And and some, it's not going to be big shows all the time. Sometimes it's just a little little discussions little whispers from from his heart to yours so